it's like uh you, you know you, you put your hand in a cookie jar and you put okay like who, who am i meeting today you know is, is it uh, some guy that's that's now just traveling around backpacking because he sold his company in silicon valley and he's done with working so hard or is it or is it another person who is traveling to you know for to travel for um, a sick family member, member back home it's just like i said it's a clean slate and you don't know who you're going to meet. And I think, and that's, and that's the most exciting part. Like you don't know who you're going to meet. Hello, I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I'm talking with Tony. Tony is an American expat living in Vietnam. He's been stuck there since the start of the pandemic for more or less a year. Before the world shut down due to corona, he was eight months into another epic global adventure, continuing to work towards his ambition of exploring every country on planet Earth. In conversation, we discuss how travel, especially initial trips, can have life-changing consequences, where we re-evaluate the kind of life we wish to live, what our priorities are, and what we feel is important and the places we wish to invest our resources. Tony describes how long-term travelling is really a mindset, and special moments, like his time climbing Bromo in Indonesia, can reaffirm in him his decisions he has taken to be a global explorer, no matter what opposition he may encounter about his lifestyle, from friends or family. One of Tony's dreams is to run his own hostel, an extension of his personality, so he says. We talk about what makes for a good hostel experience, and what differentiates a hostel from a hotel or certain accommodation chains. Tony plans to one day build a unique hostel in Georgia, so watch out for that. Travel is like a drug. It's addictive. Just like social media is addictive, right? Tony and I conclude this podcast by sharing thoughts on the travel influencer space. Is it exploitative? Is social media in the travel space a true and authentic representation of certain destinations? Or just a big ball of fluff? You know, to maximise the grams. I really enjoyed talking with Tony. Although we had some connectivity issues zooming from England to Vietnam, I tried to fix them up in post. But anyways, let's get to the conversation. Hello Tony, and thank you for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for reaching out, and I'm uh, glad that I can contribute to a little bit of piece to it. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate your time. And uh, where exactly are you zooming in from right now, mate? Uh, so right now, I'm in a little beachside town called Muy Nha. It's, a, it's in southern Vietnam, about a four-hour bus ride from Saigon, if you know where Saigon is. Mm. And what's the population there, more or less? Oof. It's a very small beach town, especially now with, with Corona and everything. So if you don't count the tourists, I would say we're looking at under 1,000. So very, very peaceful and secluded, I imagine. Right now, yeah. But uh, before Corona, it would, it would have been packed with so many tourists uh, because there are a lot of hotels here, mm. right? But yeah, right now, the only tourists you have are, well, the English teachers and all of the other expats that are stuck in Vietnam, like myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, Tony, because on this particular episode of the podcast, I wanted to talk with you about the idea of long-term travel, the idea of hosteling, and the idea of social media and the social media space and the travel influencer space. So as far as I'm aware, Tony, from our previous conversations, you've been on a epic long-term adventure all over the world, but due to the coronavirus pandemic, you've kind of got stuck in Vietnam. 
Now, there are worse places to get stuck in, I suppose. So how has that been for you for, from this last year living out Corona days in the middle of your long-term adventure? Honestly, like it's been, it's been like a roller coaster, right? Like I was in Vietnam last March. And so I was only supposed to be here for a month. Around mid-March, everything around the world starts shutting down. Right. And so I was like, oh, no, like I'm going to be stuck here in Vietnam. What am I going to do? Should I go back home? Should I try to go somewhere else um, or something? After Vietnam went through its first wave, I was like, hey, this is a golden opportunity to see Vietnam without tourists. Mm -hmm. Right. Like over if you've ever been to Vietnam over the last five years, there's been many, many development in, in the tourism space in Vietnam. Basically, I always consider Vietnam to be just completely oversaturated with tourists because, you know, it's the good food, affordable, a lot of things to see, especially landscape wise. But now without any without any tourists, I'm, I was thinking, oh, man, OK, like this is probably the prime opportunity to see all the places I wanted to see in Vietnam, but without having to deal with the hassle of over tourism. Mm. So starting in about, what, two weeks from now, it, it, it'll mark my one-year adventure here in Vietnam. And I've pretty much used the last 12 months basically going up and down and up and down Vietnam and exploring uh, literally every nooks and crevices of the country. So like, I think now I can say I have seen 95% of the country, right? Uh, but now we're coming we're coming to the down part because now that I've seen everything, I'm getting a little bit uh, restless. Right. Now it's kinda of like, okay, now I've seen everything. <laughs> like there's nothing left to see. Um, like what do I do? Right. But no, it's been great. Honestly, I, I always say like from an outside observer, if they look if they look at my situation to be in a country that's number is like number two when it comes to handling the coronavirus. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been very safe. We've only had like one lockdown so far in the last 12 months. But I think the other biggest kicker is that I also speak Vietnamese. Yeah. So for me, traveling around has been super easy as well. Yeah, it seems like, Tony, you could be an ideal candidate for writing the next extensive guidebook to Vietnam. Have you thought about that? Mm, no, not, not exactly. Uh, what do you mean? A lot of people who write guidebooks have extensive experience living in a country and the fact that you've been stuck here uh, during the pandemic and you've been exploring Vietnam, I guess in its natural state, you speak the language, you could perhaps be somebody who could write sort of off the beaten track Vietnam guidebook. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a good idea. I can't see why not. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking the language, I think, is a huge advantage for you in that in that instance. Yeah, I think it it definitely made things easier, especially trying to get to the more remote places, right? As, unfortunately, here in Vietnam, the majority of the people don't speak English, like at all. Even when you go to the the guest houses and the homestays, it's the exception that the that the owner speaks English rather than the rule. But for myself, right, it's it was it's actually been quite educational as well, just because um, when I'm staying in, in these homestays, I get to talk to the people. And for myself, I'm always a curious person. So I, I get to ask them, like, how's life here? How has the tourism here changed in the last five years? What was it like before Corona and all these other questions like, you know, like farming and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's actually been quite uh, educational as well, besides getting to capture all of these you know, beautiful pictures and everything. Totally, mate. Tony, I know you've been on this epic world journey, this long-term travel adventure. Before the COVID pandemic happened, you'd already been in the middle of this adventure. Now, you passed through a bunch of countries before you arrived in Vietnam. So I was just curious how many places you'd been through and how many days had you been on the road, air quotes, until the pandemic hit? So I started... In July 2019, so by the time I got to Vietnam, that would have been eight months into the trip. Mm. And I actually, I actually counted this the other day. I think by the time I got to Vietnam, I had been through 23 countries, uh, Europe, in you know, countries in Europe, countries in the Middle East, countries in Southern Africa, as well as South Asia. Yeah, so you'd been well and truly on the beat for some time. 
I guess you're itching to get back out on the beat as soon as the world opens up again. Yeah, I'm, this, so that's what I, I guess this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about just being listless, right, in Vietnam. Like, like I said, for this past year, being able to travel in Vietnam was also was great, right? But like, yeah, like you said, once, once the world opens back up again, it would be nice to get back. But uh, for myself, I have this dream that I have where like I want to start a hostel. So it's actually, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping to head over to Georgia which is where I'm planning to build this hostel soon and do what I did there. That's what I'm doing in Vietnam, right? Explore around and then see if I can find that one nice spot to, you know, let's say build the kingdom of Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. We'll get to the hosteling in a little bit, Tony, but I first just wanted to take you back a few years. Now this is the nostalgic vagabond podcast. So I like to, hear about stories of how people have evolved on their journey. Now, I'm aware that you're uh, somebody who grew up in the USA. And so I imagine what a typical progression of life in the USA is you go to college, you get a career job, you earn money, you work your butt off, you sort of progress through those career ambitions and, and you, you earn money and you, you know, you, then you retire. Right, right. <laughs> now, you were on that that journey for some time. But then what happened in 2011, Tony? You went on a trip, right? And was that like a life-changing experience for you? Yeah. I mean, so 2011, I did like a six-week trip through Southeast Asia. And before I, you know, as, as a little small trip before my MBA in Barcelona. Before that, the only other countries I, I visited was uh, were Mexico, Canada, and Vietnam, right? But that was my first trip with just my friends, planning it out, and everything and it was this remember this was before smartphones mm -hmm. right so this was when my, my first location was in hong kong and i had to look it up look it up how to go from the airport to my hostel on google maps and then print out the direction onto a piece of paper uh, <laughs> to, to to be able to figure out how to, like how to get there right and i can remember this moment so clearly it was getting off of the plane in hong kong and of course seeing you know see, uh, seeing the the different characters and not being able to read it getting on the bus trying to ask the bus driver if this is the right bus and the bus driver didn't speak english and so i'm just sitting there hoping i'm on the right bus and i'm taking the bus um into hong kong and then just stepping off and i don't know if you've been to hong kong right but it's just it was just an overwhelming an overwhelming explosion of just senses mm. all the neon lights being afraid that I got off at the wrong stop, not speaking the language. So it was just this rush of just emotions and chemicals and everything. Besides visiting Hong Kong, I, I visited like, I think four or five other countries, but the experiences that I experienced in, in, in those six weeks, like some of the crazy stories I had, especially just the, especially this, the, the story of, uh, in, um, in Thailand, where my taxi driver almost got chopped off to pieces, and I and I was just like, "This is this is this this is this is incredible." And I think that was when the travel bug bit me, right? That was when I was that was when I was like, "Wow, what?" In all these years of just visiting Vietnam or visiting the countries around the U.S. or just visiting in the U.S., what have I been missing on in the world? And that was when I was like. I think I need to see the world. I, I need to see what else is out there and what other crazy adventures or crazy cultures or anything that I'm missing out on. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I would say from my experiences living and working in the USA that your choices of leaving a stable career progression and leaving the country and going on this vagabonding journey would be considered a very alternative lifestyle from an American perspective. Had you received any kind of negative attitudes or, um, you know, worried parents or worried friends for you and your, your future from making these decisions? Or was it always something that you were just embracing and people were wishing that they were more like you and brave and adventurous to just get out of the rut of a typical nine to five lifestyle and go on these traveling adventures? Well, definitely, you know, since, since I'm coming from like a Vietnamese American background, the biggest resistance to this uh, were my parents, mm. right? My parents and, and all the extended family, because for them, it's, you know, they wanted to see me 
go through, like you mentioned earlier, this kind of American dream path or whatnot. Get a good job, get a good job, save money, get a house, etc. And they were like, "What are you doing? You know, you you're leaving your you're you're leaving a you know a good engineering job, and then you and then you're just gonna travel, right? Um, so that one, I, I think I think my parents and my family, in general, uh, they have been the biggest resistance to this mega bonding journey for the last how long have been how long have I been traveling for? Yeah, for almost ten years now, right? Yeah. Now, for most of my friends. Generally speaking, they have been they have been supportive, as as for in as far as the American friends. Now, that was a crazy thing, right? I thought that when I did what I did, because all I, all I knew were just American friends. I thought that like I was unique in this mindset. But then as I travel more and meet other travelers, I was like, actually no, you know, like I'm not the first to think of this. There are so many other people that. Had been doing what I've what I've been doing, are still doing what I've been doing, and they're planning to do it more in the future, right? That was when I was like, "There's there's a huge community of people like myself with the same mindset, yeah. right? That that don't want to, you know, that don't want to go through this passage of life, right? And nothing's wrong with that, but for them and for myself, it's like instead of buying a house, I'd rather just use that money to, yeah, just to travel and see the world." And so that's, I think, um, and I think that's what, regardless of the resistance I get from my, from my family, meeting these other people and seeing them and hearing about their ex- experiences, right? That gives me motivation to know that you know, what I'm doing is correct for myself. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've had the same experiences, Tony, that when you are in this world of travelers, it's almost like you're in this tribe and you connect with this group of people who share a similar wanderlust, if I can use that cliched expression a little bit. But the, <laughs> the idea of exploring the world and exploring the populations and exploring cultures and at the same time exploring your own self, your own identity, it's a very enriching experience. And it's perhaps a minority, but there's, like you said, a lot of people out there in the world from all kinds of cultures who share that similar curiousness about the planet and about the people of the planet. And I think once you find that you feel at home, would you say that that's something that has happened to you? Oh, for sure. It's kind of like that moment when, I don't know, you're sitting around a bonfire, you're you're just, you're sitting around at a table in a hostel or somewhere, right? And you start talking with other people and everyone starts talking and everyone is just sharing what they've been doing for the last couple of months and whatnot. There's that instant click of uh, familiarity, of similarity and of camaraderie, right? Where someone mentions an experience and you're just like, oh man, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? (laughs) And then it's just that shared experience, not at the same time, but somehow, it, I guess it just you know is able to go beyond the the differences in time, and you just bond, right? And you're just like, oh man, like this other person knows knows exactly what, what I'm talking about. There's definitely that something there. I don't know. It's 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 hard to place it into words, but I think I think you know what I mean. When when there's that when there's that just that instinct click. It's like a connection. I was just wondering, Tony. With other people I've had on the podcast, they've said that sometimes when it comes to long-term travel, you can get a bit of burnout. You kind of see yourself just traveling for the sake of travel, Mm. and that becomes like a stagnant place to be. I've had this experience myself where I've been away from home in various cities and moving from city to city and not really had any purpose or a goal. I think when it comes to traveling sometimes, if you've got a mission and you're working towards something, whether that be physical or spiritual, psychological, emotional, as long as there's some purpose for the traveling, that can make even long-term travel seem like not even that long because you're still on this journey, however long that journey will take. With this experience that you've been on with long-term travel, what would you describe is your mission? Is it in terms of doing your hosteling research or is it even deeper than that 
not to sound cliche, but for me, it's, it's probably even simple than, uh, simpler than that. My first goal, and this was when I first started traveling, oh, you know, back, back to that six week in, in 2011, is I, once I saw all these things, I made a commitment to myself, right? I made a promise to myself, and I said, I want to see all the countries in the world, hmm. right? Like that, for me, that is my ultimate goal of seeing all these countries and eating their food, seeing their landscape, seeing their history, whatever, right? Like that is my ultimate goal. Now, everything I do in between, whether it is with the hostel, whether it is with just you know, working, um, working, my, working on my different jobs, it all goes toward hitting that ultimate goal. What I've noticed, though, is that over the last 10 years, of course, that's still my ultimate goal. But myself as a traveler, I have grown in that time. You know, before, like, like I said, 10 years ago, when I visit a place, all I want to do is just, you know, go to all of the touristy destinations in that location. Yeah. Kind of checkmarking away the, the, the touristic spots. Just checkmarking and say, like, I've been there. It's cool and everything. Right. But now it's more of going to a place and then just taking it slow you know taking it slow trying to for lack of a better word try to smell try to smell the flowers in the air <laughs> you know like just feel the moment and not just have to rush through and and check mark and i think that's also that's also for myself has been an interesting journey as well just seeing how i've grown as a traveler right in terms of my priorities what i want to get out of the travels Right now is more of I want to try to involve myself with the local people as much as I can. Try to try to understand, try to get their opinions, try to get their try to try, try to understand who they are as a person. Whereas ask me this nine years ago, I didn't care about that. Mm. Like I just like I said, I just want to get to a place, see all the see all the touristy things, and then go on to the next place. So your priorities in terms of the way you travel have shifted from more of a checkboxing, like you said, to an overall cultural immersive experience. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's, it's, I think it's always a work in progress because uh, it's very easy to fall into that trap of mm -hmm. checkmarking. Yeah. But I am trying. You know, I wouldn't say I don't want to put down any um, other people who do the checkmarking, right? Like I said, Everyone travels for, for their own purposes and for their own goals. And there's really no right way or wrong way, right? There's just your way. True. And so now, you know, like I said, my, my way is just to get a more immersive experience because it doesn't always have to be cultural. It can just be when I was in Indonesia uh, and I did that sunrise hike to Bromo. Right. I, I, I don't know if you heard of Bromo, the, the, the mountain in, in Indonesia, but it was just seeing that sunrise it was just it was one of it was one of those moments where i was where i, where I said to myself like i made the right decision you know in choosing this life in choosing this lifestyle because mm. i'm able to see something right now that unfortunately 99.999 percent of the human population will never get to see yeah that's pretty powerful right and actually that's also why i do I, I got into photography and, you know, I got into the whole social media thing. People ask me like, why do you take so many pictures and why do you post them on thing? And for me, it's, it's just like, because I want to show people what can be seen and what they're missing from these places. Right. And not to make them jealous, actually it's more of to inspire them to want to go to these places to see it for their own eyes. And whenever I get messages from, from my friends, either my friends from back in the States or, or friends that I met in my travels that are now back at, you know, at home working or whatever, and they message me telling me that, oh, man, you know, like, I'm currently living, living my life through you right now, but you know, when I get the time, I would love to visit XYZ where you have visited because the, because the photos you posted have been, like, super amazing. Right. And then when I get those kind of messages, I'm just like, yeah, like, like this, this is what I wanted to do. Right. And, I, and I'm glad that even if it's just one person, even if it's just one person, I'm glad that I'm able to convince that one person to go and see this place that they never would have heard about, would have never even considered if it wasn't for me. That's really amazing, mate. Now that you've been to how many countries would you say? 
Do you know the exact number? Yes, I am at 92. 92 countries. I see you're pushing triple figures. Very cool. So out of these places you've been to so far, you mentioned just now that the Bromo in Indonesia was a really standout destination for you. Do you have any others that have reaffirmed in you that the decisions you've made to live this sort of alternative vagabonding lifestyle away from your home of the USA has um, just given you that continuous push and desire that this is what I want to be doing. So is it Bromo and another place or anything like that? Uh, I mean, too many mates. Uh, we can spend hours and, 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 I, and I can tell you these things, right? Uh, the Sunrise in Bromo was... The, the reason why it was the first memory that popped up into my mind was just it was just seeing the sun go over the the crater and the plateau and then seeing the sun rays but seeing the clouds covering the town and then slowly receding as the sun was coming up while seeing the the smoke coming from an act a still active volcano hmm. right like for me i was just like wow that's just incredible but i mean there was walking through Petra at night, right? And that was actually, funny enough, that was by, that was actually by mistake because I wasn't planning on staying in Petra until after sunset, but I was just hanging out with some local people and they invited me to drink some tea with them. And I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just hang out and watch the sunset on top of the cliff. And so by the time the sun, the sun came down, I still had to walk down the cliffside and walk to the entrance, right? Now, by that point, everyone had left. And including um, even most of the vendors. So I was just walking through the canyon and then just seeing everything. And I was one of maybe three tourists. And that actually that night was also, they were setting up, um, I think it was called like Petra by night. Mm -hmm. So they lit the canyon walk to the, one of the famous architects of Petra. Like if you ever look up Petra, the first image you see, like that's what, that's what it shows you. Mm -hmm. They put candles on the path, right? Now, usually this costs you money. I think this is like this is like an extra price you have to pay to go see Petra by night, but because I was leaving Petra at night, right, and they were setting up these candles, that just uh, that just made the the experience. I mean, being in that place, seeing everything is uh, that just made it. As I was walking, I was like, man, like I'm I'm so happy I came here. Like like I'm so happy to again see something that. I know not not many people will, will get to see and just being able to experience this and just feeling very privileged about it right because definitely it's it's this this is this this is a very this is a privilege I have that not a lot of people will get to have yeah that's brilliant I want to move on now tony to this idea of hostels and hosteling because like you I have had many, many enjoyable experiences on my traveling days, staying in hostels and meeting other travelers in hostels and, and just basing my adventures through these communal buildings full of like-minded people. In your opinion, what do you think makes a good hostel? And do you have any favorite hostels that you've visited so far? I would say the most important thing are the staff members. I mean, by this point, I have stayed in hundreds of hostels. Well, not just host hostels, guest houses, all, all these locations, right? And the places that I remember the most are where the staff members were the greatest, mm. right? It's the staff members. They're the one that first greets you when you first get to the place. They're the one that sets the vibe and the mood of the hostel, right? If, if you have staff members that are friendly, nice, and everything, it just elevates the experience of the hostel. And this is discounting everything else, whether the internet might be slow, whether the facility might be a little bit, you know, written down or whatnot. Mm. But when the staff members are so, like, are so there with, with the hostel and they, they make you, they don't make you feel like you are a guest. Right. They make you feel like you're like a family there, which, mm. right, it adds to the overall fa uh, family feel of the place. I think that's what makes a truly great hostel compared to an average one or a good one. Right. 
the first one that comes to my mind to, to, to answer the second part of your question is a hostel in Boracay. It's called uh, Friends Hostel, if you ever visit the Philippines. Uh, Boracay is, 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 the, is the most popular island in the Philippines. And there's a hostel there called Friends. And they, their staff members exemplifies what, what I'm talking about. I mean, I've been to the Philippines seven times now. Each time, I've, each time I've been to the Philippines, I've been to this hostel, Friends. And it's funny because a couple, what, five years ago when I was there for the fifth time, I believe, they actually gave me like a t-shirt because I've been there <laughs> so many times, right? I mean, I can remember my first, my first time visiting there and I can remember my last time visiting there last year. It's, it's just the way the staff members you know, um, warmly greets you, the way they go out of the way to help you out. It's, I mean, yeah, Friends, friends is amazing. Like, I, every time I have a friend that, that, that wants to visit Morikai in the Philippines, I always recommend them to come visit the Friends because you're not, you're not, not going to have a good time there. Mm. Do you think that being a staff member and working in a hostel, a successful hostel, it's important that the staff members be travelers themselves or is it more just about being super friendly and welcoming and basically being like a brother or sister or mother or father to the guests i don't think they need to be travelers at all right i think it's more of the latter i think it's where they the staff members are trained to to, to treat you as not just you know a dollar figure that just comes to sleep in the beds drink the alcohol and eat the food Right. Instead, if when they see you as, you know, as a person that they want to make your experience the best experience as possible, mm -hmm. that's when the, mm, the experience comes out the best. When they, like I said, here's an example of friends. And it, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to, to, another, to another guy uh, during, during, I think, my second visit there or third visit. And that was when I knew that I was like, oh, man, the, the staff members here are awesome. Uh, he told me that the, he got drunk one time and when he came back from being drunk, he, he asked the staff members, oh, can they make him breakfast? So yeah, he asked the staff members because the, the place had a kitchen he, and he asked them, oh, can he have his breakfast at like eight in the morning? Right. Like, like, he, like he wanted to have an early breakfast. And so he went to sleep and then at exactly eight in the morning, right, the, the staff, uh, one of the staff members came to his room, like with the breakfast ready to wake him up and everything. And, and he was just like, wow, I was just so impressed because I didn't think, like, I didn't think they would just be there and give me the breakfast at eight, at eight in the morning, right? And then that's, and so when I, heard, when I heard about that experience, I was like, the, the particular attention to detail of, of hospitality, of going above and beyond the customer service, and like you said, of basically when someone comes into your home, right, you want them to have the, you know, the best experience possible. And so when staff members treat travelers coming in like this, and when I say they're in, in this case, the home wouldn't be the actual hostel itself, but let's say the, the, the island or the country or whatever, right? And they want the other person to have, you know, whatever experience they had before wouldn't matter. All that matters is what experience they would have here now. Then I think that's what makes a great hostel because that's, that's what creates the memories. That's, uh, that's what's... Mm, create an atmosphere and because this i think this goes from beyond the staff members and it goes to all the travelers themselves and then the travelers treat each other's like this and it just feeds upon itself and it builds upon itself to create this like i said this a uh, very amazing vibe and atmosphere yeah i i agree with what you said the the staff members they set the standard for the attitude and the ambiance and the vibe of the establishment and then the people who were there can't help but be influenced by these good vibes moving on then tony i was just curious if you could and you might have already sort of summed this up but in in one sentence if you could describe what makes a traveler hostel different from a hotel or a chain B&B or a guest lodge? What would you say in that sentence? The biggest difference between a hostel and these places would be the, the traveler community that you meet. In a hotel, you're not gonna meet, you're, not, you're most likely not gonna meet the other guests. Same with an Airbnb. But in a hostel, it's like putting your hand into a jar and pulling out a piece of paper 
and you don't know what personality you're going to get, right? And that's and that's a hostel. Mm. You don't know the people you're gonna meet, and I've met the broad spectrum, from very eccentric characters to you know to the just people that just want you know they they go the they they have a job and they're just traveling and they're staying in hostels, right? But it's just uh, one of the best things about it is that you just don't know what you're gonna get. It's like a you know you put your hand in a cookie jar and you put okay like who who am I meeting today you know is is it Ed, you know is it uh, some guy that's that's now just traveling around backpacking because he sold his company in Silicon Valley and he's done with working so hard or is it or is it another person who is traveling to you know for to travel for um, a sick family member member back home it's just like I said it's a clean slate. And you don't know who you're gonna meet, and I think, and that's, and that's the most exciting part. Like you don't know who you're gonna meet, and not for myself, but I've met a lot of people who actually found their partner in this way, mm. right? They meet someone and they hang out for a little bit, and then they decide to travel for the next couple of months together, and now you know after so many years they're still together. So you you don't know what you're gonna get. Ah, okay. I just, I just I just I remember to start right now. It's like that quote from Forrest Gump. But I'm gonna modify a little bit. Um, a hostel is like it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> very true, very true. I I can tell you that I've shared hostel dorm rooms with ex cons at one end, and then uh, royal horse trainers for the queen at the other end, who were just touring around Canada on their time off from filming the Band of Brothers movie. Wow. Yeah, you get you get a whole spectrum of interesting people and sometimes, you know, they're a little bit unsavory, but sometimes they're incredibly amazing and inspiring people. But I think what I enjoy about the idea of hosteling, as you've just mentioned, is you never know what you're going to get, but that's part of the adventure and that's what you embrace because you just got to take the yin with the yang and live in the excited world of meeting new and interesting people. Exactly. And I think the way that hostels are set up and built, and I mean, you know, below staff members, the the way that hostels set and built, when they can encourage this, right, and, and facilitate this, this meeting of different, different people from different countries and everything, like after staff members, that's what adds to the total vibe of the place, right? That's what that's what gives it the amazing reviews online. And that's what that's what also gives the amazing word of mouth. Yeah. Right. If if you ever travel in Southeast Asia, you might meet someone that has already been to Vietnam, and they find out that you're going there next. Then they're, they're like, oh, when you get to this place, when you get to the city, you have to stay in this place because the the staff the staff is is amazing, the the, the hostel itself, the facilities is amazing, but the vibe is amazing. The people you meet there are really cool, et cetera, et cetera. For me, you know, that's what I wanted to create is something where other people would rave about to their friends and would completely recommend to come and stay when they're in that location. For sure. So, Tony, you've ex expressed this desire that you want to set up your own hostel with what you've expressed with the kind of staff members I imagine would be your ideal in terms of the way they conduct themselves and the types of personalities and hosp hospitable types of people. Mix that with the location of Georgia. I'm curious to know why Georgia specifically, but what is something else that you think will make your hostel, your hostel dream unique to you and stand out from the rest? I mean, that's actually a really good question. And I don't think I, I don't think I can really answer right now. Besides, it's going to be a place where I'm able to just really leverage, um, not just leverage my experience, right? My experience for the last um, ten years of travels, but I wanted to make it an extension of my personality, mm. right? And I think that's how I'm going to uh, separate it from any other hostels that are either around the world or in Georgia and then really make it unique in and of its own, right? Like I want, I want my vision basically for that to be my vision come alive. You know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and say that that's going to be successful or, or not, 
but uh, that is the goal, right? And I, you know, I think I know how to get to that goal. And the, but the first step, of course, is always to, you know, put the foot down and actually do it. Yeah. And again, this is just, this is just another part of the adventure. It's now, now that I've stayed in all these amazing places, can I take what I've learned, what I've seen and everything, and can I use it to create one of the best travelers hostel, either in Georgia or in the world, right? And that's the goal that I have for myself. Um, sure, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's find out if, if, if it's possible um, or not, but I want to try. Uh, and if I can, perfect. If I cannot, then it's just a learning opportunity. Just curiously, Tony, if you went out into the street today or tomorrow, because I know it's getting later in the evening there for you right now, and if you walked into a coffee shop and were having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and somebody said to you, what do you do, Tony? <laughs> what would be your answer to that question? Uh, well, it's actually kind of funny because now here in Vietnam, I get that question a lot because practically like everyone here, are, you know, they're English teachers, right? But I always joke that, uh, at least as of right now, I would, I would always joke that, oh, I am the last backpacker in Vietnam, right? Because there aren't that many other people. There aren't that many other people like, you know, still backpacking uh, around, around Vietnam. But as an overall whole, really, I, I, I would just say, like, I'm just an avid traveler, right? Um, of course, depending on stages uh, where I'm at, I might have a full-time job, right? I, I used to work in San Francisco. Before that, I was working in Korea. But if someone asked me, like, what I do, I'd say, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to learn all that there is to the world. And unfortunately, the world's huge, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, I will try to do my part, and I will try to share what I've learned through social media and through engaging with these with other travelers at, at these hostels and everything. And like you said earlier, maybe one day have some sort of book to to detail all this out. Yeah. When somebody asks you, "Why are you an avid traveler?" Can you respond to that in one sentence, or is it? A, a question that needs you to write an essay to answer. No, I mean, then I would say because it's fun. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm a simple, I'm, I'm a simple man, Alan. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. if, 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 if they want like a one succinct answer, then I would say, you know, because it's fun and it's, and it makes and it makes me happy. Brilliant. Right. You can't never, you know, my, my philosophy in life is never, you know, try, try your best to not do things that are not fun. And, who knows, right? Maybe one day, all this traveling is no longer fun for me. Mm. And that'll be the day when I would hang up my backpack. But honestly, I feel like that's going to be very hard because every time I come to a new country and I do a new experience, it's just like, it reminds me again why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I just, like, even here as part of this trip, I did um, the Annapurna circuit in Nepal, walking through that circuit and walking amongst the, the Himalayas and seeing the, um, all the cool buildings with the mountains and just being by myself, walking in solitude. I, I just like, oh man, you know, this is really tough work and I'm suffering physically, but oh, this is, so, this is, so, is going to be so worth it once I finish it. Yeah. Right? Uh, and uh, after I finished it, I was like, wow, I can't, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe like it was. And then again, I go through the whole mental thing. I was like, oh, like, I'm so happy to be doing this, right? Like, I can't stop. And then, you know, I tell people this. I tell them, I'm like, honestly, traveling is like a drug. It's just like a drug. You get the same chemical high, right? It's addictive. It's intoxicating. And, you know, to be fair, it's also expensive. <laughs> You're like a drug, right? And so it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just like a drug, right? Brilliant. My favorite four. I've got them here. Are you ready for my favorite four? Yeah, let's do it. Tony, what is your favorite color? Red. What is your favorite international greeting? 
international greeting. Uh, are we talking about expression, like uh, ex like uh, word expressions or physical expressions? Language expression, yeah, word expressions. Ah, uh, uh, um, I like hola in Spanish. Nice. What is your favorite backpack? Are we talking about brands here or types? Uh, give us both. Uh, I honestly don't have one, personally speaking. The, like the backpacks I have right now, I have a you know I have a forty liter uh, backpacker's backpack, and then I got a a fifteen liter day pack that I carry. I don't really have one uh, have a particular favorite one. Right. So it's more about the size um, rather than the branding or anything else. Exactly. Good point. Yeah, forty liters is quite small. So I imagine you're quite a minimalist backpacker. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, also, you know, this is a pro tip to anyone else that's listening out there, right? If you're going to be traveling a long time, don't go for the bigger backpack. Like, you don't need any more than 40. Uh, the more you have, the more, the more you're just going to carry. And you're going to, after maybe like a month into the trip, you're going to realize that, man, I don't need half the stuff that I brought. Exactly. Good point. And finally, Tony, what is your favorite song? Oh, favorite song. I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> cool. My favorite four. All right, let's talk about social media. Now, you're on Instagram, yep. uh, Trek with Tony, or lowercase, at Trek with Tony. I've got you on there, and like you said it previously in the podcast, you use the social media space to post videos, post pictures, share your travels with your community, not out of an arrogant standpoint, not trying to make people jealous, but just trying to inspire people and show them that if you can do it, they can do it too, if they want to. Would you say that's a good summary of what you're doing on Instagram? Yeah, but actually, that's a, that's a perfect summary because if what if you know if they know me, they know that I'm lazy, <laughs> right? So yeah, if I can do it, anyone can. Are you on any other social platforms? So I'm on Facebook, but uh, and then I'm also on YouTube. But I guess by this point, my the videos I put on YouTube are not as professional as 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 uh, as other travelers. But but same thing, right? I put it on there just if anyone happens to see it, then they can learn a little bit more about whatever the video I do. Mm. And, and I'm also on like a semi-professional photographer's website. It's called the uh, 500px, right? And then so yeah, and there there I post up my um my nicer and fancier photos, just just in case anyone wants to buy them. Right. Now you've been traveling for a decade more or less now, Tony. So it's similar to me. I started traveling in 2009, but probably more specifically 2010 so a little bit longer than you but not that much longer and you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you were traveling in hong kong pre-smartphone and that's definitely an era that i recall as well in terms of smartphones and in terms of traveling over this amount of time have you any experiences or any things that you'd like to comment on in terms of the evolution of social media and traveling one of the things I've noticed is that with you know with the advent of smartphones and now you have like like all these social medias like with uh, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Instagram, and everything, right? I feel like there's a certain sense where travelers are trying to are losing the sense of what it means to travel, and now it's more of just trying to trying to create a niche for themselves, but by exploiting, you know, like by exploiting the local people that they're visiting to get this niche, mm -hmm. right? And I came up with this thought when I heard about how, uh, I, think, I think it was like these two Polish girls or a Polish guy, and, you know, what they wanted to do was just to travel around Asia without spending any money, right? Mm -hmm. And you know they would hitchhike everywhere, and when they get to a place, they would try to sleep with some uh, with with any in any local person that would take them in, and you know eat their food and everything, right? And for me, I don't know, for, it, it bothered me because you know these, uh, especially for a lot of these people um, living in these poor countries, they don't have a lot, but a lot of them can be very hospital hospital people, right? They'll take you in, they'll they'll feed you, they'll you know keep you warm, whatever, and so they would give to you what, whatever it is they have. 
But I feel like then as a traveler, we need to give something back. And hearing stories about like this guy where, I mean, he, you know, he just comes, stays, use and leave. Also that you can just claim that you can travel. You can travel without spending any money around Asia. Mm. Right. And it's just like, you know, what are you, what are you giving back to the local community? And for me, my, my philosophy is the best thing we can give back to local community is in monetary. You pay to sleep in their homestays, right? You pay to, to have them cook food for you. And sure, you can talk. And you can you can try to have a cultural exchange, but at least this is but at least you you're giving back to them to them something that they that they can use. Mm. But uh, when when I when I see so many travelers just not doing this, and here's the thing, you, they would never do this in developed countries, right? They, they just because this wouldn't work in developed countries, and so I I I, I almost feel like they're taking advantage of the niceness and of, and of the hospitality of these people while not giving anything back. Yeah. Right. Of course there are there are I've I've also heard of, you know, other people who I think are doing it in a more correct way. Like I think there was this one guy where he was also traveling around in China or Mongolia or something. Wherever he was staying, he would actually live there for a week or whatever and then help them with the farm work. Right. Like help them plant, help them uh, build whatever shed or something. Right. That I think is cool. Because at least you're contributing something back in as far as uh, what you know, what they're giving to you, but in in these other examples and cases, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a little unfortunate, and it, and I feel like nowadays some people do this just to try to, for the, for the lack of a better word, just for the grams, right? To get to get the followers and to get that in that to get to get that social media exposure, and you know, unfortunately, the the the, the people who's who's at the end who's at the end of this. You know, they're like I feel like they're the one getting exploited, and maybe you know, maybe they don't care. But I just feel like as travelers, especially coming from wealthier countries, you know, we can do better. Yeah. So I see that you're saying that there needs to be a good balance of give and take between the traveler and the local, and that you're very much against exploitation, which I totally agree with. Definitely, definitely. The whole idea about giving back in in forms of labor rather than monetary i kind of like the idea of that too so your traveling colleague who was helping build things and work on the farm i find maybe in some cases better than monetary value because in certain cultures where they need to build things and and have a a lifestyle which is based on chores and and getting shit done it's probably more valuable than money in some cases anyway yeah, for sure. Especially, um, let's say, in more remote villages, in more remote communities, in the jungles or in the mountains, mm. right? Where, yeah, an extra pair of hands, especially strong hands, is much more valuable than the extra $5 you would pay yeah. to them. One last thing, Tony, I'd like to hear your thoughts on is this idea of social media and fakeness and fakery. One thing I'm always curious about with social media and people who, like you said, are just there for the grams or trying to get a bigger following purely for their own egos. Do you think that there is an element of travel influencer sphere where what they are portraying is not authentic? It's actually fluff and and not real to their travel experience? Oh, definitely, for sure. I mean, not you know, I'm not gonna cast a white net and say everyone is guilty of this. But I think it's definitely there where uh, the things that they show are completely uh, are completely neutered, <laughs> right? Like they would show a picture of a beautiful beach, right? But then, but then they don't show that literally outside of the frame is a pile of trash, right? Or shanties, you know, and, and like kids running around, um, you know, like uh, looking famished or what or whatever, right? Mm. And Unfortunately, you know these kind of photos or whatnot might not might not make for a good presentation on social media. So there's, I can imagine that there are a lot of people who do just do these kind of fluff photos and don't really show, you know, the the, the true image of the place, right? And I, like for for myself, like you know, if you if if you were following my my Vietnamese adventure, right? Like that's what now. Like I said, I used to be one of these people. To be fair, right? You know, like I like that's what I, you know I mentioned earlier. As as I go through the growth, 
I used to be one of these people, but now it's like, now I want to show all the sides to a place, you know, some, for some, for some people, uh, especially on social media, they always, they only want to highlight the, the positive because they're afraid that if they highlight the negative, um, maybe the locals of the place might not like them or they lose, you know, they lose followers, right? Because some people just, you know, they just cannot take criticism of their country. And I think, I think it, it sets a, a really bad precedent and can also be misleading to the people that are treating them as influencers. Yeah. And so for, for myself now, I try to show all the sides to a place, you know, the good and the bad. So you would see my beautiful pictures of Vietnam, but then you, but then you'll see the next picture. I'll say, oh yeah, but here, here, this is where you see all the beach with all the trash because, you know, of all the littering and everything, and here's all the plastic and whatnot, mm. right? Yeah. And because I think that's, at least for myself, I feel like it's my responsibility to show this, and just, just, just to say that hey, you know, not everything is all peach and dandy when it comes to traveling, and that as travelers myself. I can also be, I might also be contributing to, for example, in Vietnam, this trash, mm-hmm. right? Which is why, for example, you know, I try to use as little plastic as possible because I know that here, there's not really a lot of recycling. So any plastic bag that I get or whatever might end up on that beach that I just took a photo of. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I guess that comes to another type of ethical traveling as well. It's just being aware of the environment that you're in and doing your best to leave as less of an awful uh, mark as you can for the culture but also for the planet and the the region in that area oh man yeah. <laughs> do you like water like uh, are you a scuba diver or a snorkeler i i have are you like a water i have person? done when i lived in australia i did some snorkeling but i can't imagine seeing shit under the ocean that would depress me have, have you come across that kind of stuff well, so relating to what we're talking about, I've come up, I've come up across a lot of just travelers just completely disrespecting the environment. For example, when I was in the Philippines, there was this couple where uh, the guy was standing, literally standing on corals to take a picture of his girlfriend. <laughs> for, for Instagram. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then when I tell him, like, dude, what, what are you doing? Get off the coral. Like, he's, he's like... Like he he got offended. Like he didn't he, like he didn't understand why I was so mad at him. Mm. And so it's like it's like these things is where, unfortunately, I think yeah, for the grams and for social media, it has made some people completely disrespect uh, completely disrespect the local f- uh, floras and faunas. Mm. And what's unfortunate is of course the locals themselves they don't say anything because you know they just all all they care about which make, I mean you know it makes sense to me is just the the tourist money. Mm-hmm. But it also uh, it's unfortunate because they're the ones that are going to suffer the most from this yeah. because their corals will die, which means, which means less tourists will come. And also their kids won't be able to see these beautiful corals because that's their community, right? That's their home. Yeah, I think it just comes down to respect in the end, doesn't it? And maybe a little bit of education. Yeah. You can be ignorant, but you can't necessarily justify your ignorance. I think every traveler needs to be completely open-minded and willing to learn as much as possible about the environment they're in. And if they make a mistake, that's okay. But don't do it again in the future. No, I completely agree. Right, Tony. Well, basically, we're out of time. So if anybody wants to follow you, they can go onto Instagram and type in Trek with Tony in lower cases, and they'll see your Instagram page and all the photographs that you've posted up in the videos you've posted up over the time, and they can follow your adventures that are still happening in Vietnam, but hopefully soon <laughs> will be outside. So I just wanted to say thanks very much for your time, Tony. Thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your unique perspectives and uh, insights onto the world of travel and uh, the ethics of travel and hosteling and sharing a bit of your story. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And yeah, I look forward to, uh, I guess, adventuring more and then seeing what's going to happen with the world this year. huh? Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) All right, perfect for now i guess you can live vicariously through me through my instagram (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's it thanks for listening to the nostalgic vagabond i hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation and if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel there are more podcasts available check them out wherever you get your podcasts and for updates just follow me at the nostalgic v don't forget your journey is special own it i've been alan hill Until next time.
Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe, and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.